This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks so much for joining me today. All right. I think, I think this is going to be our last post Olympic trials marathon episode, at least for now. I had to take a little break. Uh, we recorded this a couple weeks ago, and I'm excited to finally get it out here. Connor Mance and Clayton Young, who went one two at the Olympic trials for the men, they basically ran together the whole race. And Connor was, if you were watching, feeling a little rough at the end, and Clayton was hooting and hollering and pumping up the crowd. And it was so fun to see them finish that race as teammates together. Uh, Really loved talking to them about training together and what running the race together meant, making the team together. They trained together in Utah. They both went to BYU and they were also both ranked one and two for the marathon trials, the only two with the standard. We talk about that in the episode, actually have them break down like what it means for the third position and how the third place finisher Lenny Career might be able to run in the Olympics like what has to happen for him to be able to run in the Olympics I also loved the nod they both gave to Zach Panning for all the work he did in the race and I of course had questions about their family life their faith life Connor is sponsored by Nike he has a marathon best time of 20747 which he ran in Chicago last year Clayton is sponsored by ASICS he's the father of two and he has a 208 marathon best that he ran in Chicago in 2023. I am super excited to see what these guys do in Paris this summer and I loved getting to know them and hearing about their friendship, their training, what the trials meant to them and what making their first Olympic team together meant. All right friends, this podcast is supported by UCAN. If you are looking for an amazing way to fuel for your runs and you haven't checked out their Edge Energy Gels, you got to check them out. 75 plus minutes of energy per gel, no sugar or caffeine, no spikes or crashes, easy on the stomach. And you can try their gels out for free. Just go to youcan.com slash another. They will send you four gels. You do have to pay shipping. And if you are already using their products or you want to try their energy powders, their energy gels, or energy bars, electrolyte powders, they have it all, uh, you can go to youcan.co slash another. Use the code another and that'll get you 20% off your order. I also want to say I'm going to be doing an event in Boston. We'll be in Cambridge on Saturday, April 13th. Tommy Runs and I are going to be doing an event with UCAN and Destination Marathons. Details to be shared soon, but block your calendar for that Saturday sometime around 3 p.m. in Cambridge. It's not that far. It sounds far from downtown where all the exciting stuff is happening, but it's like a two-mile bike ride, honestly. Um, I stay in Cambridge every year in Boston. Uh, It's going to be super fun. And if you don't know what Destination Marathons is, they are an amazing concierge service for runners. They actually have a team going to London. They have bibs available when you go to London with them. 
They take care of all the logistics for you. They have your hotel reserved. They get you to the start and finish line. They have meals. I mean, everything you could need, Destination Marathons gives you a VIP experience. So go to destination-marathons.com to check them out. And again, the event is with Destination Marathons and you can. It's going to be so much fun. Again, check out you can, you can.co slash another. Use the code another for 20% off or just get those free energy gels and check them out. You can.co slash another. All right, friends, please enjoy my conversation with Connor Vance and Clayton Young. All right, Connor Mance and Clayton Young on the podcast today. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate you including me in your podcast roundup that you've been doing. You guys have been making quite the rounds. Is it fun? Are you exhausted? All the feelings? It's a little tough because I, I feel like for me, because I'm just out of my normal groove, I, I like just, you know, wake up, run, and just worry about my runs. But now it's like, oh, yeah, I, like you have a podcast today. You have an interview today. It's a little, get, I'm, I'm a little tired of it, <laughs> to be honest. Doing the media thing. You got to do that when you make Olympic teams. Right. It's true. Like my cheeks are getting sore from smiling so much, but I'm just, I am really happy. I'm still enjoying the moment, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of media. Listen, I am like almost embarrassed because when I saw you guys finishing the race, I, I had been like standing in the same spot where everybody kept going by. And then I was like, I'm going to try to get to the finish line. And I had a media pass, but I like, I could not get back there because I, I needed to already be back there, right? And so then I was like squeezing my way into the fence because I knew you guys were coming down. And then I had to do a double take, Clayton, because you were like laughing. And like, I, I was like, wait, is he getting laughed? What is that guy? Why is he, what is he doing? Like, how is he having so much fun right now? And then I looked again and I was like, no, that's Clayton Young. And they're finishing the race, but you just like did not look like you were finishing a marathon. Yeah, it's funny. I think people say all the time that like whether I'm hurting or I'm not, like I always look the same, like very composed in my races. And uh, so, I, but I, I really was feeling pretty good at the end of the marathon. And I, I just visualized that moment so much that I was like, I'm going to enjoy every minute of this. Um, and that's what I did. And then what were you doing, Connor, when he was like <laughs> ma- being the mayor of the running community and the finishing right. stretch? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm in a similar boat um I, no matter if i'm feeling good or feeling awful i look terrible while i run <laughs> so um similar to clayton just the opposite end of <laughs> how you look i i was just more worried about getting to the finish line yeah um, you know you're you're not an olympian until you cross it mm-hmm. and so it's like i just i wanted to and, and clayton said this too um we just went about it differently but it's like I wanted to cross that finish line and just be like, okay, I'm an Olympian. I don't want it. I did not want it to be like, yes, celebrate. And then what if I collapse or what if I pull a hamstring or what if, you know, by some, there was no one behind us that I could see, but by some random, you know, miscalculation, somebody catches us and passes me and, you know, Clayton's feeling good and he can react and maybe I'm not. So I was just about getting to the finish line as efficiently as possible. Have I can't be the only one. Have people compared this to like when Shalane and Amy finished the trials in 2016? I know I, I haven't listened to your other interviews, but I, I'm like, there's no way people haven't asked them about this. 
it's actually funny you 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 bring that up because no one has asked us about it, but oh. Connor and I have talked about it a lot. In fact, maybe a month or so out, I started watching all of the Olympic trials from 2012, 2016, 2020. And when I watched the one from 2016 in LA and I saw what Shalane and Amy did, I was like, Connor, you need to go watch 2016 again. And oh, wow. like, we need to embody and embrace that moment. And I had to be careful there though, because like, I feel like the men's marathons in years past have been very different than the women's marathons. Like we had this dream in our mind that we could maybe do a Shalane and Amy, you know, go one, two and, and work together. But like, we also had to really be realistic with ourselves and be like, you know what, we're going to have to fight to the finish. And where we feel like there was going to be somebody else there for a long time. So the fact that it actually kind of did play out like Amy and Shalane or yeah, Amy and Shalane, it was just, it was honestly a dream. Like it was, we had talked a lot about that before. And so what was that like in the moment being like, okay, I'm feeling like Amy right now and I'm feeling like Shalane right now. Cause in that, in that race, Shalane was like, I think it was, she was severely dehydrated or something like that. Yeah. She couldn't take fluids very well. And so she, she just doesn't like the sloshing in her stomach. And so that's what I heard that she just was really dehydrated. And it it almost was almost the same in the sense that like maybe Shalane and, and Amy would think differently, but think back to 2012 Amy barely misses the team and Shalane makes the team. And I would say that Shalane was like the dominant person in their relationship, right? Like Shalane was the mentor to Amy more or less, and really was the workhorse, the one that was like probably, and and I'm speculating a little bit, but that's what I think. Like when I think of between Amy and Shalane, like Shalane was the better athlete, you could say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was Amy that really pulled Shalane through the finish. And in, in a way it was kind of the same thing. Like, looking at on paper like connor was the better athlete like he was definitely the workhorse better in workouts he had the better pr he hit the olympic standard one of the best marathon debuts and then like what happens in the race well it just so happens that i was just feeling better that day i handled the heat and humidity better that day and uh i was able to able to help connor and so it is kind of funny that it played out that way as well um uh just yeah what two better people to compare ourselves to than right. I love that these men marathoners are are comparing to the women's race. I love that. I love because I mean, I talk about the women's marathoning all day, but I'm excited to have you guys on the show too. How do you feel about it, Connor? Oh, I mean, I, I think that's a great comparison. I think yeah. like, um, like I I I wasn't doing amazing at the end. I was, I mean, it, it was like tough, but it it was really like I was just so focused on getting to that finish line as efficiently as possible. But it. But it was pretty similar. Like, I mean, I don't know. Clay, Clayton needs to respect how good of an athlete he is. I, I think, Aww. yeah, maybe I'm the workhorse, but Clayton's, like, really good. It, it was kind of funny. I remember, like, thinking, like, week of or two weeks before, I was like, oh, wait, like, Clayton is probably, the like, my biggest competitor. And mm. and it was like we had been talking about all these other athletes that I kind of forgot. Oh, wait, there's only two for sure spots. And Clayton is probably like going to get one of those. And it was kind of like, a, oh, I have to be everybody else in the field. Like I don't, it's not, I have to lose only to one person to make the team or be everybody but one person. It's, it was just kind of like a, I don't know, the mindset of, oh yeah, Clayton's done everything I'm doing. And Clayton is, it's really good in the heat. He's really good in the humidity, but also like, I know exactly what Clayton's doing. Clayton's looking really strong. So it was, it kind of made it tough because it was like, 
um, you know, beforehand thinking Clayton, like, might be the, like, I could take third and Clayton might be the reason I don't make the team. Like, mm. it might be, you know, somebody shows up like Paul Chalimo ends up running, you know, a debut of 205 or 206. Yeah. And I, I, I can't do that. And he, in humidity, and then Clayton goes and crushes it. And then it's like, I'm third. Well, I guess if Paul Chalimo made it, ran that fast, but like all the what ifs, you know. That would unlock a third spot, right? Right, right. Okay. But I guess there's so many what ifs, like. Yeah. And so it, it was like, okay, it was kind of a dream because it was like, if if I want anybody else to make the team with me, I want it to be Clayton. And it was kind of like a surreal moment around three miles when Clayton took the lead and Zach Panning started to fade. And it was like, like I, I wanted Clayton to help me lead so we could help Zach Panning break 208.10. But then, Aww. then when Clayton takes the lead, like I didn't realize it at first, but then I look back and Zach's dropped off and I'm like, mm. oh crap, well, I guess it's, not oh crap, it's don't mess this up. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you guys think about Zach leading the race like that for so long? Yeah, for me personally, it was like, it was perfect, right? It, we, he did he did some phenomenal pacing. And I think we were all a little bit anxious those first three or four miles. Um, you know, the pace was slow. We were kind of waiting for people to make their move. And it was a lot of congestion, grabbing bottles, taking tangents. And so when Zach went to the lead and then Connor Mance turned and gave me a look, uh, and we both kind of made eye contact and we're like, okay, yes, cover this move. It, it kind of was a big sigh of relief. And honestly, he, he made it possible for us to enjoy the end so much more, to be honest. Like, I don't think Connor and I were going to touch the lead till 22, 23 miles. That's kind of the, the, the instructions we got from coach Ed Eyestone. And so for him to kind of break the race apart and to give some even pacing through those middle miles, even to put us on to, for a chance to maybe unlock a third spot uh, and hit the the uh, Olympic standard. I think that was pretty special. Um, especially cause we knew that Connor and I knew that we were probably two of the fittest guys in the field. And so an honest pace was probably going to play to our benefit in terms of not leaving it to a kicker's race. Um, but really honestly, when us three broke away and, and, and then at mile 21, 22, when Zach started to fade and Connor was the first one to say, Hey, like Zach, let's, let's go after this. Let's go get, you know, let's go unlock that third spot, get behind me. And then I was able to kind of do the same. Um, Did you say that verbally to Zach? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. So at, yeah, 21 and a half, 22 is when, when Connor could tell that the pace was slowing. We were on, you know, pace to hit the Olympic standard, but um, we wanted to unlock that third spot. And, and I should say too, like two weeks prior, we had flown out to Orlando for some training and uh, it just so happened while we were doing a sauna session that Zach Panning was there too. And his oh, teammate, okay. like of all the places in Florida that you could go use a sauna, like he happened to be there and we kind of started developing this relationship. And then we went on a run with him a couple of days later. And so we'd gotten to know Zach a little bit and, you know, mad respects to him um, yeah. before the race and uh, during the race, because he really made the race what it was. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, there was no one else that we wanted to make the team more than than probably Zach Panning, um, you know, just just because of the person that he is. And we knew that he would be valuable in training all the way up into Paris. Um, so anyway, uh, it was heartbreaking for him to drop off. Uh, but at the same time, it was also, like Connor said, like this moment of, okay, don't mess this up, like Connor and I all the way to the finish. And that was pretty special. I think it was also like a really fun moment around like, so when Zach took the lead, it definitely eased my anxiety because mm -hmm. 
Um, before he took the lead, I, I went to grab a water bottle just to put on my head and I just got like shoved to probably about 40th place. Oh, wow. And it, it was just a huge pack. And then I like was able to go all the way out, move up and kind of be, I don't know, not side by side by to Clayton, but I was like a couple people over. So I knew where Clayton was. He knew where I was um, so that we could respond when Zach made the move. But it was like this. As soon as Zach made his move, it was like my anxiety just kind of dropped. Mm. It was just like, okay, I'm on pace. This is how, this is what I've trained for. I haven't trained to run five flats. I've trained to run four fifties. And mm. so it was like, I'm used to this. This is normal. Like five flats are way too fast to be an easy run, but much, but a little slower than like, we never go slower than marathon, like just slower than marathon pace for a workout. And so, I don't know, it was I'm really grateful for Zach in that moment. Um, yeah, I, I hate that I had to, uh, I, I definitely regret now knowing what I know now that I didn't help him lead, mm. but it was just so like, what could happen? Like, I don't want to risk yeah. my chance of making the team to look out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. To help Zach. I mean, if, if Zach's already wanted to do this and I think, um, I, I feel, I feel bad about that now because if I had faded you know 10 seconds more for helping him lead and then he ends up running you know 30 seconds better and ends in that third spot I would have felt a lot better but I it's just hard because you're like you have to look out for yourself yeah and it's funny like I even think about like 22 miles when I took that lead I thought Clayton's made the team now it's just I gotta not mess this up and help Zach make the team (laughs) Because you knew that, that Clayton felt so good. I, I didn't. I, I actually didn't even like look at him. I just, in my mind, it made sense that Clayton is feeling good. Okay. Okay. Um, have you guys talked to Zach post-race? I was able to talk to him briefly after the race. Um, and it was like, yeah, it was pretty heartbreaking, to be honest, Aww. to see him. And and like, apparently his wife was at the finish line too uh, with Connor and I's uh, spouses as well. And so it was like, you know, she was brought to the finish line to be there to greet him when he, you know, made top three and then mm. essentially he fell off. Right. And so like talking to him in the hotel afterwards, it was like, I was really proud of him and how he kind of said he had no regrets. Like he wouldn't change a thing. Like he, he executed his race plan. Uh, but it was hard not to like, yeah, to sympathize. Cause I think we've all been there and, and to put so much work into it and you know like the hansons group they were out there since december 20th like to go from december 20th to february 3rd and just have be hyper focused on making the olympic team and to put everything out there i just yeah i I just understand the sacrifice that comes from him and his family and and it's just it's heartbreaking so we had some good special moments for sure um and we've We've invited him out to come train with us. Uh, obviously, he was trained with the Hansons, but if he's ever, if he ever wants to come out here, he's more than welcome. Yeah. Um, well, we'd be remiss not to bring up who actually did get third. Lenny Career. Did you talk yeah. to him? Yeah. It, it was. It was probably a really like. It was also a really special moment to see Lenny finish. Yeah. And he finished and just kept running. I don't know if he was like trying, he had like lost balance that marathon legs because <laughs> he ran into a fence and the fence like went down. Oh, that's funny. But, but I had never, I've, we've both known Lenny for a while. I've known him yeah. since 2021. 
Um, and like Lenny is, he's a workhorse and, but he doesn't, he's very like quiet and I've never seen a lot of emotion out of him. So when mm-hmm. he finished, it was like, you could tell he'd been thinking of the last four years for so long. Like, I don't know if it's every day he's thinking about it or every right. day, but it, it was, you know, it's hard cause there's only three spots. Yeah. Like at max. Um, <laughs> and so it's like, it was really like special to be there when Lenny crossed and Lenny's doing the interview and he's emotional and he's like very grateful for everybody who'd helped him. And it was a really, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but it was just a special moment. Yeah. Um, have you guys talked about or talked to anybody about like unlocking that third spot? Like what needs to happen? I've heard so many people discuss what has to happen for it to happen. And I'm still confused. Yeah, I think it comes down to this either we need to have an American run top five in Boston or in Tokyo okay. or have somebody break, break two eight ten. That's to for sure unlock a spot. And it can be anybody. It can be any not, American. But not, one of you guys, not one of the three that are going to the Olympics. You guys Correct. are allowed to. Okay. Yeah. It could be anybody but Clayton and I. Okay. Yeah. Or, or Lenny. Le- Lenny could, but oh. hopefully he doesn't have to because he's that, that would just be hard on his Olympic. Okay. But table. like, some along these lines somewhere someone told me he wouldn't be the third pl- the third person wouldn't be allowed to because the committee didn't want them to run a marathon in between now and then but he Correct. actually can we just don't want him to Correct. yeah okay so I'm, I'm actually unsure about that as well if he's allowed to um because yeah you're right there was a lot of speculation that like if you were not faster than 21130 before the trials you couldn't go unlock, you couldn't chase that 211.30 time. That was a for sure. But okay. I think uh, for someone that had already been sub 211.30 and had, was top three at the trials that they were allowed to chase, I guess, the Olympic standard, quote unquote. Now, obviously, we want it to be unlocked fully by like hitting the Olympic standard or being top five in Boston or Tokyo. But the second way is obviously through ranking. And right now, Lenny is ranked really high. Oh, I think, okay. I think he passed Scott Fobble. And so um, on May 5th, they'll dis- they'll have a descending order list to 80. And Lenny is most likely to be ranked within the top 80, limiting each country to three. And I think there's probably like 12 spots-ish left that aren't taken by either the Olympic standard or top five at a world marathon major. So those 12 extra spots will go to the next ranked up to 80. Oh, okay. So and- it's... Yeah. And so what I heard was they, at first they said no one could chase it, but I think they went back and said after the race that if Lenny wanted to, he could, he could go after and try to bump his ranking up or his, or get the standard. But, um, I think he's gonna, I don't think he's going to do another marathon. It might be a half that'll help bump his ranking up. So you can't unlock the standard with the half though. You can't unlock the standard, but you okay. could get your ranking higher. Okay. Okay. Yeah. The higher his ranking is, the better. So also, this is one of the other things. Have y'all discussed this on other shows already? Is this boring? Not not for a while. Right after Chicago, when Connor and I unlocked oh, the two okay. spots, there was a lot of talk about it because okay. um you know, whether or not we would have to earn those spots at the Olympic trials or not. And that's, that was a whole discussion in and of itself, like whether Connor and I 
should be named to the team before the trials or if we would ah. have, still have to compete for those spots spots but uh that yeah there was a lot of anxiety around that actually and, right. and maybe a little bit of like resentment about the system the selection procedure yeah. system sure uh, because there weren't more than two spots that were unlocked but um obviously everything went to plan we still went one two at the trials and and uh we went and and earned those spots again um so anyway, yeah, that's that's the only thing that's really been talked about. Could like remember in the fall when they did the McCurdy Marathon and like it got certified. Could someone set a race up like that where a bunch of American men just like go get after it and like try to unlock it that way? Yeah, yeah. like a super fast course because like obviously we know Boston's not a super fast course and getting top five is like really really is that is that harder maybe than unlocking the standard on like a flat fast loop course that is like designed for you to make it happen yeah it, it could totally like a bunch of american men could go do that i don't know if the camaraderie with the american men is as big with, as the camaraderie as the that the american women have oh you um, know the women would go get after it right but like had i taken third um this is what I had decided in my own mind. I, I kind of mentioned it to Clayton, but it was like, if I was third and I had no, like, I didn't look like I was going to get in, I was going to, and I couldn't go chase the standard for myself. Yeah. I was going to just put a big bounty on it. Like anybody who breaks two or eight ten, here's 20 grand or $25,000. Like whatever my prize money was from third place, even it would be like, Here's yeah. this big bounty. Go get me that Olympic spot. I can't go chase it. So it would be like. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, it would have been stressful because it would have been like, okay, now my livelihood is on the line about somebody <laughs> getting this. But then I get my dream to be an Olympian. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense. You're like, here, like, I'm paying you to, like, do this work. Like, you're, you're working for this. That's kind of. Yeah. I mean, surely this is in the works. Surely this is in the works. Come on, McCurdy, yeah. somebody, somebody get this race going. <laughs> yeah. um, it's confusing to me, though, that you had the standard, yet even if you got third, the third spot would still need to be unlocked, even though you have the standard. Yeah, that's where like a lot of the like anxiety about the selection procedures before the trials came in is like, if Connor and I had taken third, there's no way that we could unlock another spot for the United States. We'd already unlocked one. So even we couldn't chase a standard even if we wanted to, right? You can only, we can only unlock one spot. And so it became really complicated. Like essentially whoever else was in that top three, we would have to force them to either go hit the standard or get another American man or wow. American man to do it. And that's where it's like, we felt like we had no control if we had taken third. Like if we had taken third, we would have, it would have been in other people's hands. Um, and that was hard to deal with. Wow. It, it, was a, it was a frustrating time when we found that out. All right, everybody. Did you know I have training plans available on my website? Whether you are looking to run your first marathon or your 10th marathon and you want a big PR, check them out. We've got beginner all the way to advanced with detailed pace charts, pre and post run stretching and strength routines. Very basic, very basic strength routines. I know sometimes us runners don't want to dive too deep into it, but it is very important to at least do the bare minimum with strength training. And the pace chart helps guide you to a race time that a goal that you're looking to hit. And the pace chart goes all the way to three hours, three to five hours is that range for 
marathon finish times. What I always say when you are using a training plan is to trust your gut, trust your instincts, don't be glued to paces and miles, listen to your body, but use that training plan as a guide. It can help you reach your goals. I actually wanted to read you a message. I just got an email that I just made my day. Um, This woman, Heather, she purchased a training plan for her sister-in-law, the beginner half marathon plan, which is a great place to start if you're new to running and half marathoning. But um, she emailed me and she said, hey, thank you so much. I used your advanced plans for both the marathon and half marathon to crush my PRs in the last six months, especially proud of my 138 half marathon a couple of weeks ago. Thanks so much for all you do and the awesome content you provide. Okay. That made my day. That made my month. Thank you so much for trusting my plans. I'm so happy that you had success with them. And y'all can have success too if you check them out, lindsayhine.com. All right, friends, please enjoy the rest of my conversation with Connor and Clayton. Um, well, let's talk about your training group. And don't you guys like have some big giant text group or something? Somebody was telling me about that. You know, Mike Coe on Relay. He's on my a co-host on the Relay podcast that I do. He's telling me about your big group uh, text message that y'all have all your training partners. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a big group me for sure that's essentially mar- Utah Marathon training team. And it's it's probably 80% BYU alumni. Um, okay. Just, just old teammates and friends, guys that are weekend warriors that are staying in shape, uh, that meet every Saturday and just hammer out a long gun. Um, and that's really fun. But then there's also just people that have, you know, fallen in love with the sport here in Utah that join us. Um, and that's been pretty special, but then obviously there's probably a core five or six guys that are actually meeting, you know, almost daily or at least every Tuesday, Thursday for our workout days. Um, and, and that's a pretty special group that, and it's, it's, it's fun that it's grown a lot. You know, when I went pro, one of the big reasons I decided to stay here in Utah was to train under coach Ed Eyestone, a two-time Olympian in the marathon. But then uh, the other big reason was to train with Jared Ward and, Mm. um, you know, 2016 Olympian, sixth in the Rio games. But at the beginning, it was just me and him and one other teammate, Connor McMillan. And that's kind of all there was. But now this last six months, it's definitely grown to where there's like a solid five, six guys that are showing up to workouts. um, and, And that's been pretty special. I think BYU had a good showing. We went, obviously we went first, second, 13th, 22nd. Wow. And then there's, there was a few more. Nico took 50 some odd. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it was Jake, Jake was 21st, right? Yeah. Jake was 21st. Hobbs was 22nd. So yeah. First, second, 13th, 21st, 22nd. And then it kind of trickled off from there. And that's, that's pretty cool. Like it's a good crew out here and uh, it's not official. Like we're all under the Run Elite program, which is like a just a group here that kind of keeps us all together and healthy and training and motivates us. Um, but it's just as good as any other group or better. Yeah. What is it like for you all to like be the top guys now? Like, you know, you probably grew up when you found your love for running, like watching Jared, watching Galen, watching these top guys that were like, okay, they're making the team this year. They're making the team this year. And so now you have kind of set, like, that's you now. Does that feel real? And what does it feel like? I think this is going to be one that's going to take some personal experiences for one and the other. I I don't think it, for me, it still doesn't feel real. 
it feels like I'm kind of playing like mm. playing like a game, you know, <laughs> like like some type of I don't know choose your adventure board game or something like kind of wacky <laughs> like that, um, and it it just kind of feels like I'm I don't know living. It, it it doesn't make sense. It's like that's been a dream for so long that it almost felt like it wasn't going to happen. No matter how close I was getting, it was like, ah, oh, I guess it's just never going to happen. So it kind of feels to me, it, it still hasn't settled in. Um, there've been a few days where Clayton and I have talked about planning our training. And those have been the real days where it's like, oh, this is actually happening. Paris training. <laughs> right. It's like, how do we train for Paris? And that I think has been really good to help me like be excited. But for a while it was just like, interviews and questions I felt like I was just kind of going through these motions so that's kind of how it's been for me I think it's been different for Clayton but I'm I'm not sure yeah I think when you when you you talk about like this passing of the guard right like uh, it was really interesting I had a pretty intimate moment right after the race with Galen Rupp and you know people aren't ready to like readily they don't readily want to admit this but like Galen I think for a lot of us was our idol when we were young, right? He was, I went to NXN three years in a row and saw Galen, like he has, he signed posters that hung on my wall. Like he, he was a big legend. Like he carried the American distance running on his back for years and years. And um, obviously there's some controversy there, but like, I still heavily respect Galen for what he's done for the sport. And um, just the person that he is, the family man that he is, uh, you know, I've now run into his wife and his kids. And it's just like, I just realized that he's just another guy like me more or less. And uh, that's pretty special. And, and so right after the race, I, I had a pretty interesting interaction with him that was pretty special. And, you know, he was pretty devastated after the race, um, kind of embarrassed. And I just, yeah. I just tried to relay, like, he, he doesn't know who I am until maybe, you know, the last two months. And, and so I tried to relay to him just, you know, the inspiration that he was to me. And, uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it is difficult to see, you know, him start to fade um, and to kind of, you know, age catch up to him or whatever it may be. Um, but then there's also been other interactions like Jared Ward, obviously our teammate um, from, you know, 2016 Olympian, like he's been struggling with a hamstring injury for the last eight months and we've been working with him through that. And, and, you know, we've all been dreaming of starting on that start line together and then it just didn't happen. You know, he didn't quite have it. And, you know, he went, he actually had a PRP shot yesterday and he's in crutches today and it, or, and it's just been sad to see like kind of him pull out of the race. But, um, you know, he was the one for me, especially in 2016 when he made the team that like inspired me as a young college freshman. Um, that was, And that was pretty incredible. So it's weird to think that I'm in those shoes now. Like there's maybe 20 guys on the BYU team that are looking at me like I looked at Jared Ward. And that isn't reality to me yet. Um, but that's pretty special. And then the third person is for sure is, is Meb Kifleski. He actually came out... Um, couple days ago and visited our training group and and we kind of had a big party and meb was part of that and you know meb obviously being a four-time olympian like how can you not look up to him and you know when i in chicago i remember when i ran 208 flat and i saw the descending order time list i was like whoa i'm technically faster than meb now which was like like a stat that was like mind-blowing and, and granted like training has changed and shoes have changed so like i got to give him the nod for sure. But it was just weird to think that I was on that, that caliber even. And um, anyway, so like, yeah, to, to feel like I'm filling those shoes is still a, uh, not even a reality yet. Uh, but it's been special to have those mentors in my life. And 
they have, they've, they've made a difference, no doubt. Yeah. And I feel like we have to bring up like what you said about Galen, like respecting him, like family man, all that stuff. Like, For sure. you know, when we interview, when I interview moms, I'm always like, you know, we talk about the other moms that are inspiration and whatnot. And I know that you have two kids and Jared has like 975 kids. <laughs> yes. Galen, does Galen have four kids? Four kids. Yeah. Okay. Twins. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know he had twins. Um, so, you know, we talk about it with moms a lot because obviously when you're a mom and like your body changes and all that and you go through that, but like, there's also a massive life change when you become a dad. So talk about what that looks like with your training and having these other men to kind of like follow in their footsteps. Yeah, definitely a, a, a shift in training, right? Because newborns don't sleep and they don't eat all the time and there's life, there's lifestyle changes and, and, uh, and so, yeah, there, I think first and foremost, I think that's when you really find like, not that this is for everyone, but like the commitment level of your spouse, right? How much is, how much is Ashley invested? And, and it was like, it was immediate. It was right away. Like Ashley was willing to do whatever she needed to do to take any of that, that load off of my plate. And, uh, that meant, you know, taking like always waking up with a baby and I almost regret or like feel embarrassed saying that but like she got up every single time to take care of the baby when I was uh in training um and you know with baby number two that happened all over again and I got to see her level of commitment and not that that's like me saying what's your level of commitment like like are you going to get up and do it but like it it was completely voluntary on her part and selfless and like it just shows how much she sacrificed for this dream but then you talk about like the mentors that have also shown the way, like, you're right, Jared has six kids. And um, it's, you know, I always say that, yes, he he taught me how to be a marathoner. But more than anything, I feel like he's taught me how to be a father. Like he is one of the best fathers that I know to his children. And he's the first one to kind of, you know, cut back on training or sleep or nutrition to be there for his kids and for his family. And that's not even an understatement. Like he is even to the point to where sometimes I feel like I'm being defensive or protective to Jared. I'm like, no guys, like kids, you gotta, you gotta, let, <laughs> you gotta let your dad sleep. Like he needs more sleep. He needs to, he needs to come on this run with us. Um, and uh, it's, but it's incredible to see the sacrifice that he's, you know, given for his kids, his family. Um, and that's, that's what really I think has helped him and me stay grounded. Um, it's easy to get hyper-focused on, being an athlete, being a runner and being the best we can. And, and that's a worthy and honest goal. Um, and it's a way of life and a way of living. But at the end of the day, like who you are as a father and as a husband and as a son of God matters way, way more. And um, it, it has helped me keep an eternal perspective that that really lasts. And and like I said, Jared is the one that taught me and has shown me that uh, by his example more than anything. Do you guys take Sundays off too? Yeah. Totally. Yep. That's what I always say to people in training. I'm like, hey, Jared Ward doesn't run on Sundays. If Jared Ward can take Sundays off, y'all can take one rest yeah. day a week. And I think what's beautiful about that is, yes, it is it is highly religious. Like, yeah, we, we try to keep the Sabbath day holy and, and spend that time with family and and, uh, and and in worship. But I honestly, like, it, <laughs> I've never ran on Sundays, so for me, the idea of running on a Sunday and not having a day off is like, kind of seems like a, like I kind of dread that to be honest. And, um, and like, I really appreciate a day off 
to kind of reset my week and kind of regain that motivation uh, come Monday. Um, so it's as much, it's obviously first and foremost spiritual, but a physical man, like it, it, it definitely has made a difference. And I, I also think about like, like even like the, the few Sundays that we do race a year, those training cycles just feel different. And um, like, we have to prioritize that recovery. And anyway, it, it, it really is part of who we are. Yeah. Do you, how do you reconcile that? Like if, I mean, cause like you're running the Chicago marathon, it is on a Sunday. Like, do you right. feel like guilty doing that? Um, I just try and, you know, remember the scripture that, um, I wish I could, you know, give you what verse and where it is, but it's Christ talking. And, um, he talks about how, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And, you know, I'm, we, we try like Clayton probably tries even better than I do, but really to, to minimize any Sunday racing, Mm. um, find other races if possible. But it, but this is our, you know, our training is our work and we have to race occasionally on Sundays. Um, it's not like, you know, maybe it is justifying it. Maybe it's, you know, justifying a sin, but I don't, I've, as I prayed about it and, um, really tried to study it out. I feel like, you know, the, the, the racing on Sunday every once in a while is okay. As long as I use that as a, a way to do good, whether it's whatever I'm doing, I make sure I include God in it all. And, and my testimony of Jesus Christ is my savior. Do you guys feel like, like did, when Dakota crossed the finish line, she was like giving all the glory to God and talking about that. Do you guys feel like that's an important part of the message you want to have when you're racing? I, absolutely. I think, in fact, like if you just look at my last eight months and kind of the life that I've gone through from knee surgery to mm-hmm. contract renegotiate, anyway, like just lots of big life challenges uh, to think that God hasn't been part of that. would, Yeah, he's been every, he's been there every step of the way. And it, it's definitely been I've definitely been guided in that regard. And, you know, that was honestly my one prayer at the start line. And even on the bus ride over was that that I would be guided to kind of have an eternal perspective, to think celestial is what what mm. um, a recent prophet told us. And, and to as long as I have that eternal perspective when it came to the race and that I felt like I could be guided and perform to the best of my ability, regardless of everybody else's result, like I was going to be content with, with the day. Um, when it came to racing on Sundays, I think also like I realized that it's like not an all or nothing thing. Like if, 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 I, if I can take it race by race and not think like it's an all or nothing, like, okay, now I'm going to race on Sundays no matter what, or I'm not going to sure. race on Sundays. I just look at every single race individually and prioritize those that are not on Sundays. I think that's made a big difference. And, and there's been a, 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 like countless missionary opportunities to, to share the gospel with people um, at our races. And so that's been pretty special as well, whether those happen on Sundays or not. And I think that's part of, um, you know, God has given me this gift and I have this opportunity to share that gift and inspire others. And I think that makes a big difference. I saw that you did your mission in Raleigh and that's where I live. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. I love Raleigh. Um, I'm excited because the Puma group's out here. And so I'm going to try to interview fiona in person where whereabouts in raleigh did you live when you were out here do you remember yeah so the mission every there's what a couple hundred missions in the world and you're not you don't get to pick your mission you're assigned to your mission 
And okay. I was obviously assigned to Raleigh, North Carolina, and I was actually assigned Spanish speaking. So I, I, I primarily Are focused. You, fl- you were already fluent. Uh, no, not well, like no. I took a couple of years in high school, but everyone knows how that is, right? Yeah. Uh, not, not very fun. Like that's like nothing. And so, yeah, you, I spent the first uh, eight weeks in the missionary training center here in Utah and learned probably the majority of my Spanish. And then it was kind of, for lack of a better word, baptism by fire out in the field uh-huh. learning language. Um, and so, yeah, I, I can speak Spanish. And uh, yeah, it was mainly to the Latino people that I taught. And that was pretty special. But yeah, so I served in, in Raleigh, in Durham, in Cary, in uh-huh. Sanford, and in Wallace, which is out okay. towards Wilmington, middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so everywhere, pretty much Durham and East is where I uh-huh. served. And, oh, uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, we're going to Wilmington this weekend because I like I booked the beach for a Black Friday. There was like a Black Friday sale at my favorite hotel. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I have no idea what the weather's going to be like in February, but it's going to be 65 and sunny. So I'm excited. Yeah. yeah I love awesome. Wilmington. Wrightsville Beach. I love that area. It's really nice. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I miss North Carolina. It's like the best two years of my life. Good people, good food, good fun, and yeah. uh, beautiful, beautiful. Just, I spent a lot of time out there, obviously. So, did you move back? Like, had you already met your wife? Uh, my wife and I met in high school. Okay. Um, but she's a grade younger than me. And, and in fact, she actually went on dates with my younger brother. Um, we weren't, we, I was so focused on my grade and the cute girls in my grade that like, we were just kind of living our own parallel lives. And, and, you know, truth be told, she's had a crush on me a long time. We, we ran on the cross country team and, you know, I was there to win races and she was there to socialize and, oh yeah, and, uh, and those are her words, not mine. I will, <laughs> but, uh, it, I left on my mission and she wrote me throughout my whole mission. During that time, missionaries can can only email or once a week and call on Mother's Day and Christmas. Like it was pretty limited communication. So she wrote me weekly by letter or by email. And then and then right before I got home, four months before I got home after two years, uh, she actually left on a mission. She she served in Portugal. And uh, so I wrote her whole, her whole mission. And then she eventually came home and we were at Brigham Young University together. And, and uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history from there. We started dating and, and got married. Do you guys feel like, because you both, you do, and you went to Ghana. Yep, I was in Ghana. Wait, so it's crazy to me. They just place you anywhere. So like you could literally be placed in Raleigh, North Carolina or yeah. Ghana. Yep. Like anywhere in the entire world. And yep. anywhere with uh, with the freedom of religion, more or less. So like so, you, couldn't, you couldn't go to North Korea or... Sure. Communist China. Yeah. So you like open this envelope and you're like, I'm going to Ghana. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I pronounced I pronounced the name of the city wrong. It's the capital of Ghana, but how I did didn't you? Know. Were you nervous? Like that's such a big. That's so far. I mean, going to Raleigh, you're like, okay, I'm gonna travel across the country, but like, I'm going to Ghana now for two years. Yeah. yeah. It's. I don't know. I, I was just more excited. I don't think there was like an. There was a lot of nerves. I'd known, I'd known one person who served his mission in Ghana and, um, I'd had family members serve all over the world. My dad served in Taiwan. My brother served in Japan. Okay. I had cousins who'd been in Brazil. I had an aunt who was in like the, like South Africa, not just the country, South Africa, but like Southeast Africa. Okay. And 
so I had a lot of people who had experiences with, you know, so many cultures and you, I don't know, you're not really scared of, I know you're also, I was 18. So it was like, I'm not scared of, I'm not scared of anything as an 18 not year old. Yet, I understand no. the world. And then you get out there and you're like, oh crap, like there's a huge new culture that, you know, is so different, but I would never say my culture is right and their culture is wrong. It's just so different. Yeah. Do you guys think that like um, doing the mission before you went to college to and like raced in college, like being a little bit older in college, did that was that beneficial? Yeah, I think it's it really depends on the person. Um, like on the mission, you're only like exercise is very limited, so you're okay. you're only running if your companion or or the the person that you're teaching the gospel with can wants to run and. And you only get 30 minutes every day. And so sometimes I ran three miles, sometimes I ran nothing. And uh, it was, like I said, it was really limited. So I gained 25, 30 pounds on my mission and, and it just really wasn't the priority. And so coming home off of the mission, it was, it was kind of nerve wracking, right? Like, will I get back in shape again? Will I be a, a, the athlete I once was? But I think it's a testament to to just putting the Lord first. And then also just a lot of hard work getting back in shape. Um, but like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't work very well for everybody. Like one of my best high school rivals, Brad Nye, you know, he was the indoor mile champion. He was the last guy to be Ed Chez in high school. Like he was a legend wow. and he came back off his mission from France and he never panned out. Like he never was hmm. good again. And he, it's not for lack of trying either. Like he definitely tried and, but it just wasn't quite the same again. So I say the attrition rate is actually higher than most people think. Um, but I think from like a maturity standpoint, like learning how to schedule and plan and cook and clean and, and just be to study, to focus. Cause like we do a lot of studying on the mission too. Like it definitely helps and pays off, uh, when you get back to college. Um, mm -hmm. so physically probably no, but maturity wise, maybe, maybe a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's wild to think about too, because I feel like if you're like, a state champion and you're on the top of your game in high school and you're like looking to get a full ride to college. Yeah. Like how did that work with you guys? Did, did they put it on hold for you or what? So from my, my experience, it was pretty much everywhere I talked to maybe except one or two schools were very, uh, very supportive. I think it just was a testament of how well BYU had done in years past. Oh, I guess cause BYU is going to be supportive of that. Right. Right. And so like, uh, all schools in Utah are very supportive. Okay. Um, but then, like, I looked at, like, Princeton and Oklahoma State and um, a few other schools, and it was, like, their coaches were very supportive and, oh. you know, very, very excited. Um, I mean, both both coaches had had athletes who had served missions before, I believe. Like, Josh Thompson ran Oklahoma State and was very successful there, and he served a mission in – I think Nicaragua, I could be wrong with that. Um, and now he's professional with the Bowerman Track Club. So it's like you do like mo most people understand, yeah, you're going to get out of shape. and You're not going to do well. But you look at Henry Marsh and Paul Cummings and Ed Eyestone um, and Doug Padilla, you know, some of the best runners that the U.S. had at the 1984 Olympics were all they had all served LDS missions. And so yeah. a lot of these people are very like, yeah, go do your thing, get out of shape. Like, we just trust that, you know, you'll come back very disciplined and you'll be able to get back in shape. 
Y'all didn't know I was going to have so many questions about <laughs> your mission, <laughs> yeah. did you? <laughs> That's okay. We love talking about it. It's good variety. It's not the same question about, all right, now tell us about the trials. Tell us about, <laughs> more about the trials. It's like, oh, this is something a little different. Tell me about your mile splits. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. I have a new obsession and it is hug bras. I never know how much I'm going to love something. You know, I start working with a brand. They send me the product and I'm like, okay, we'll see. No, 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 no. I am obsessed. There's no we'll see here. These are the most comfortable bras I have ever worn. I don't think I can ever wear another bra again. The padding is sewn in. So it's like a mesh material. There's no like crinkled bra padding that you lose in the wash. And here's the other thing. You can wash and dry them. You do not have to pull these out of the wash so that they don't go in the dryer because they can go in the dryer. These are the most amazing bras. My favorite is the Got Your Back Racer. I can run in this bra and use it as an everyday bra, which I do both. I just get sad when I run in it because then I'm like, I have to wash it already and I want to wear it again the next day. Um, they also have the Daily Embrace, the Everyday Support. They have a beautiful lilac color. I love that one. I have white, black, and lilac. And um, the Got Your Back Racer is also really cool because it's a little bit longer and you can wear it under a romper. You could even wear it as a crop, but get some like high-waisted pants. You know how the youth, they're walking around in their sports bras basically everywhere? You could pull it off with this because it's got a longer look. Uh, just go to hug.co, H-U-U-G.co. Listen, you're going to put this bra on and you're never going to wear another bra again. I'm not kidding. They're that good. Uh, hug.co, H uug.co and use the code Lindsay L-I-N-D-S-E-Y 15 for $15 off your order of $110 or more. This is for new customers only and it expires April 30th, 2024. So make sure you go get on that. If it were me, I would get the black Got Your Back Racer and then I'd also get it in lilac because the lilac is beautiful. All right, friends, back to the show. Um, you know, I was thinking about this, though, back to the trials. I had talked to Emily Sisson about this a little bit. Like, what did it feel like to be like the shoe in on the team? And we can get into this with Clayton because I, I like how funny you were after <laughs> like wearing your sunglasses, like talking smack to Sidious and everything. Um, but Connor, for sure, like you were the guy that's like, oh, everybody's talking. OK, Connor Mance, Connor Mance, Connor Mance. And I asked Emily the same question, like. Did that feel like extra pressure or did you try to just zone it out or what? I definitely tried to zone it out because I knew how good everybody else was. I mean, yeah. Rep, Rep has an Olympic medal in the marathon. Um, Clayton's Clayton trains with me, but he's a better performer than I am, especially okay. in hot conditions. So it's like I can train at this level and Clayton can train at this level and we both perform just a little bit better. But Clayton's has a better range with that. I knew Zach Panny was really fit. I knew if Paul Chalimo was running it, he had a really good chance uh, to show me. Like, I, I had so many people that I knew, so I tried to push it out. However, like, day before and morning of the race, I was so nervous that it was almost debilitating. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I had a nightmare and woke up at 3 a.m. Um, mm -hmm. almost on the dot that, like, I had dropped out because I couldn't finish. And so it was going through my mind and I was shaking. Um, like I just couldn't fall back asleep because I was so nervous. And like 
I'm at the, on the bus right there. I'm shaking. I'm before I warm up. I'm shaking. I'm shaking on the warm up. It's Were like you talking to Clayton through that at all. I was talking to them. I didn't want him to know I was freaking out mentally. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, at one, I don't want him to freak out, but two, he's also like, he might be the one that kicks me off the team. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't want him to have this mental advantage over me. Like, totally. If, if he's going to beat me, I want him to beat me, not even thinking about, like, oh, yeah, this guy's like, suck it, man. So you're going to get wrecked. <laughs> like, <laughs> but. Um, Do you tell him that I, afterwards, though? Yeah. Or are you just now I've said this in some interviews. I guess those are the ones well, that okay. know about. I've heard I've heard about the nightmares and the anxiety, that's for sure. And and I've known about that, but I had no idea that he was wanting to keep it from me so I didn't have a, a mental edge. Well, well <laughs> I say that now. I don't I don't know if I if that was true exactly. I probably should have said that how I did, but like <laughs> I, I didn't think about telling Clayton about how nervous I was. I was just yeah. like, so, I mean, that makes the most sense. Yeah. Did you feel that? Did you feel super nervous, Clayton? You know, kind of like you alluded to, I think I had convinced myself that I was an underdog, even though maybe, you know, on some people's radar, I was on others. I, because I hit the Olympic standard, I wasn't like I was on, I was a shoe in. And so I, but I definitely played the underdog card and tried to embrace that idea that, you know, we're just going to go see what happens and, and, uh, you know, celebrate my fitness and all the good training that I'd had. Um, but I think, I think for me, the biggest confidence does come from training and previous performances. And so even the night, the night before the race, I went back and I looked at all of my training and all of the workouts that I'd done. And I was like, wow, this is like, you kind of forget how phenomenal it is. And if, and, uh, especially because it had gone better than my build to Chicago. And so I was like, okay, things are going to be okay. And, and even looking back at Chicago, it was just, you know, I was like, why not? Why not? I'm, I'm, I'm one of two guys that have ran 208 or faster to eight flat. And, and so why not me? And, and so I, I really did embrace that underdog mentality. And I think it helped me to stay calm that first lap. I definitely was a little bit nervous. Uh, there's just a lot of bodies, a lot of people and, you know, I, I bumped shoulders with Paul Chalimo a little bit and, and uh, I was also leading quite a bit of the first couple miles just because I wanted to stay out of trouble and get my bottles. And I kind of got nervous, like, man, am I going too fast? Am I, am I, am I sticking my neck out? Um, but then by lap, you know, two to three, when Connor gave me the high five, if you've seen that on the broadcast, there was definitely a lot of confidence that came as, as Zach Panning, Connor and I broke away and, and, and I started to feel better for sure. Um, but it definitely helps that like we, we have a really good community that was out there. Like obviously warming up with Connor, riding on the bus with him, but then also our four or five, six other teammates, right. That were just there. And it just felt like another day at practice, almost uh, warming up and walking to the start line. And I think that helped. I talked to uh, McKenna, Myler and yeah. Sarah Hall. Yeah. yeah. I was to say, there's another BYU nod. She yeah. had a phenomenal race. McKenna's awesome. Big shout yeah. out to McKenna. She's a yeah. saint. I literally just got off the phone with her like right before this one. Um, her and Sarah both like a resounding theme of our conversations was just like finding the joy and racing and running. And I, I was really specifically talking about this with McKenna. Like how do you like pair like being so serious and like making the Olympic team with like, I'm joyful and this is fun. And, <laughs> 
And what does that look like for you guys? It's I'm sure it's a little bit different, but if you're not joyful with it, like your, your success isn't going to go very far. I think McKenna is a great example of that because she always has a smile on her face. Yeah. Um, and I think that's you know something we, you know, we strive for. This is kind of going back, you know, back to my NCAA days, but in my, my last cross country race in a BYU uniform, my last race in a BYU uniform, um, was like 2021 fall cross country and I'm the favorite. It's in Tallahassee. I had just won the last run and coach was like, just smile. That was his advice Aww. for the race. He's like, just smile, just have fun with it. And that, that is something I've really, he told me before this race too, but I think I got a little too serious, um, <laughs> but it's, I've always tried to like, I, I forget about it a lot, but I really try and focus on this is a sport. This is for fun. Mm-hmm. Running is fun. It's enjoyable. I get to compete. And I mean, I think that, you know, going back to a two year LDS mission is something that definitely needs to be remembered because during those two years, you don't get to compete. You don't get to train. Your body doesn't feel good because you're not fit. But now it's like, oh, I get to compete. I get to do what I love. And so that was, I don't know. When I think about races like this, it's like, you know, either way I make the team or don't, it, I did have an enjoyable journey. Mm. And it was fun to, I don't know, grow and learn. And the whole, yeah, I don't know, sometimes it, it all comes down to the race and that's where the eyes are. But really, I think the best part of this, this build as a whole all happened during the workouts and the training. Mm. When you asked the question and you, you're talking about McKenna, I couldn't help but think about like how sacrifice is so related to almost your joy in the sport. Like because McKenna sacrifices so much being a mother and like even just, you know, she, she graduated from BYU, but she was not phenomenal. And then she left the sport for, well, didn't leave the sport, but she was like involved in the sport, but at a very low level for several years. And then like, you know, has come back and it really is a testament to how much she loves the sport, right? Like no one comes back to the sport unless they love it and really are enjoying it. And and even more so now that she's sacrificing so much to be a part of it and to, you know, not only show that to other mothers, but to her children. And I think that's pretty special. And so she's a really good example of that. But, you know, I even think about, you know, this last build there's, I, I upped my game even more. And there were days when it felt like, like groundhog's day. Like I just felt like I was waking up, eating, running, sleeping, like just on repeat, sometimes twice a day, right? Like that's, that's all you're doing. And, and I realized that I was sacrificing a lot, but I needed to find more joy in the sport. And so I really do like the mentality of approaching a race uh, with the idea of like celebrating your fitness. Like there's a reason you ran all those miles and all those workouts and it was to enjoy this moment. And, and uh, you could say there was no lack of enjoyment those last couple miles for me in the race. In fact, maybe I enjoyed it a little bit too much uh, compared to other people's standards. And um, <laughs> but, but I had just, I just had visualized and 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 dreamed of that moment for so much, for so long, and and so much that it just, it really, I I couldn't I couldn't hold it back. And um, and and even even to the point to where I almost wish I had celebrated it more. Like there were. There oh. were um, just because I, I know that moment is going to be very rare. Like it is rare and it, it will be rare in the future. And Like that uh, you feel that good at such a defining moment of your life. Yeah. yeah. And and just even like, kind of like you said, the lack of pressure coming into this race that maybe I put on myself. Like who knows if, 
you know, people often say after, you know, they make the Olympic trials, I think, you know, Des Linden and Kara Goucher talk about how they have, you know, their smile and their, it's almost more of a sigh of relief or a smile of, of relief than it is of enjoyment. And, you know, I definitely probably was more on the enjoyment side. Like it was, it was still very much an enjoyment, but I worried next time I toe the line for the Olympic trials, that it's just going to be a sigh of relief, kind of like what Connor experienced. Um, uh, but, you know, that's four years away and I'm going to enjoy the Olympics and, and enjoy every moment uh, until that. I, I hope I never have to have that sigh of relief that I look at each opportunity as a moment for greatness and, and to enjoy. Yeah, the sigh of relief does seem like it would just be more of a natural thing if like the expectation was you're the one that's to make this. T- I mean, same yeah. with Emily Sisson. It's like. Yeah. She gets like she wasn't having a great day. She gets across the finish line. There's like some relief there where Dakota comes in like with her arms in the air, like total celebrating because yeah, we all knew she could make the team, but nobody was like she was Emily Sisson. Yeah, yeah, she was nobody's like top pick. Yeah, like very top pick. There was like ten women where you're like any of these ten women could very likely be in that third spot. You know, um, you guys kept mentioning Paul Chalimo though. And then, you know, Fiona obviously wins with a half marathon debut. Did that even like, what does that feel like to like, oh my gosh, someone's win like wins and they were debuting the marathon. Obviously she's a gifted athlete, but like, that's wild, right? Yeah. I, I always wonder about, you know, how many athletes could be great marathoners, but then they never try it out. Right. And I, I think. I think the issue is bigger on the men's side than the women's side, but I, I mean, there's still athletes, you know, who are like Fiona, who maybe just, you know, they're good at the track, but they they could be great on the roads. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's inspiring, uh, a little frightening sometimes because <laughs> yeah. it's like Paul Chalimo is, I mean, he, he kind of destroyed me in the US 5k champs last year and I beat him the year before. And then the 2021, he he beat me by quite a bit too. So it was like, it was like, how good is he going to be? Like, you, you just kind of don't know. But I think part of it is you just kind of, you know, kudos to Fiona. But for me, I'm just going to have to focus on myself. Because when I start thinking about that, I get nervous. <laughs> yeah. That is wild to think about it. I wonder if it's like, because we had kind of talked about like the women's camaraderie earlier on. Like, yeah. I wonder if more women are like, trying and going for it because they see that like I mean they see how special those relationships are and how big the the fandom is of of the women's running oh yeah it's I think that's one thing that's pretty cool about our sport is that like you look at the men's side you look at the women's side women's side it's like everything's pretty like it's probably the only sport where Mm. men and women are equal like Mm -hmm. pretty much entirely like yeah from what I understand, I mean, you might have a different opinion and you can express it, but like, I, I, I think women and men are, are treated pretty equal in this sport. And that's, and, and it's kind of funny, like, why don't the American men get together like the American women do? But yeah. It's just well, you guys, do, you guys do with your team. Just, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we, so we always end the podcast with end of podcast questions. And since neither of you have been on the podcast, we can end that way. And this is a funny question, though, considering you just both achieved a really big, (laughs) what I'm assuming is a really big goal. But the first end of podcast question I always ask is, what is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you have not done yet? 
personally, I'd like to, I mean, one day me and my wife have some kids. That's, mm. that's something we want to do. Love it. More personal than professional. So you can look to, you can look to Clayton for advice when that happens. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I will. I will. Uh, when I think about professional goals, obviously with the Olympics coming up, everyone's asking us like, do you have a shot? What do you, what, mm. what do you think you can place? And, you know, I think I'm ranked somewhere in the thirties or forties. So I, I don't even know for sure. Uh, so we do have kind of an outside shot, but I think with the level playing field, uh, with the Paris course being hot and humid and hilly, uh, there's there's a shot there. There's an opportunity there. Um, and so I would like to think that we could get top 10 in, in those games. And and I want to put myself maybe in a shot to get a medal, if, if that's a possibility. And we always say that our, also our goal is, is maybe to beat Jared Ward's sixth place finish, and that would be pretty nice. cool. Um, so yeah, that's maybe something from a professional standpoint. Maybe one day I'll actually beat Connor Mance in a race. That will be good too. <laughs> you, you've oh. beat me plenty of times. So. <laughs> Wait, we didn't even talk about that. And I'm sure you've discussed it a million times over, but when you kind of gestured to him and like, yeah, I need both of your takes on that. <laughs> um, I mean, it, in the post-race interview and as well as, as, as in the award ceremony, like I said it exactly how it played out. Like I was honestly celebrating so much and I told Connor like 400 meters ago to come side by side and we were running in side by side and I still was enjoying it. And then I think with 30 meters to go, Connor just really wanted to finish and he put on this little surge and I just put my hands out and, and he finished Aww. and then I did like it, it really just happened as it looked. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about whether we planned that or coordinated that or, or even like differences in bonuses and prize money. And, and mm. honestly, it just hundred percent happened as it did, um, given our history and things like that. Like it just, honestly, our goal number one was for, for either me to make the team or Connor to make the team. That was our goal number one. But then goal number two was to get the other person to make the team. And that's exactly what we wanted. So, you know, once I found out with three miles to go that I was feeling good, goal number two was do whatever I could to get Connor to the finish line. And, and, you know, I think he was going to make it to the finish line no matter what. Like, he's pretty gritty. And, yeah, I, he tucked in and, and, you know, I motivated him here and there. But um, it was just – it was special to do that with him. And, um, it like I said, it just it just happened as it was. And even, like, those last 30 meters when Connor pulled away, it was just – I think my mind was so much in celebration mode, it forgot about competitive mode. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah right. Here we go. And Connor, Connor gets it. And uh, that's – it was pretty special. So that's my point of view. Yeah, it. I mean, with a few miles to go, I asked Clayton to take the lead to help Zach, and then two miles to go, Clayton's like, "Come next to me," and I'm like, mentally, I wasn't feeling good. Like physically, and you're at the end of a marathon, so like you're not feeling good no matter what. But like yeah. mentally, I was like, I just I want to eliminate risk. I'm gonna just run behind you, which. I don't know. Now that I think about it, it probably wasn't great for Clayton because we had that's like the one section you had the wind at your back. So I'm taking away his drafting. No, <laughs> um, but it was it, it was just like I wanted to. I don't know. Make sure I finished. There was just you know the nightmare, but also just like I was just worried about the what ifs, and I was so focused on the what ifs of all the bad stuff that could happen um, that I was like, I'm just going to run Clayton's pace stay behind Clayton and it would have been more fun to run side by side and I think I could have but I, I was just worried like what if like I let Clayton know I'm not feeling good 
more so it was mental than physical at the time, but it was like, I mean, Clayton thought it was all physical. So Clayton even slows down for me to run with me. And it's just like, we could have kept the same pace and been fine. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, we, Clayton is celebrating and I'm like, I just want to make sure I get to that finish line as efficiently as possible so that I can, um, that I can like be an Olympian. Uh, and even like the last few like 20 30 meters or maybe even like last 10 I just kind of expected Clayton to fly by me at the end and so I look back like confused like yeah I, I know you're feeling really good because you're celebrating like this I know you are feeling better than me yeah like but I'm I'm gonna get to that finish line and have this like weight off my shoulders and so it was just kind of yeah it's it's funny that that's how it played out but it's it's kind of like well it's whatever. Like we both made our big goals. Like, like for both of us, it's been kind of a lifelong goal to be an Olympian. And it, it was like more special to run it and be in it together than it would have been. Um, if we had both gone to the well and, you know, fought as hard as we could and one of us doesn't make it. Yeah. I, I just had wondered like, I was like what, what did that mean? Like, is it like a nod to like, we trained really hard together. You pulled me through training. Here you go. And then I was like, did Connor even like see that he was doing that because you were in front, you know, I'm sure everybody was speculating. Yeah. I mean, you're spot on in the, in regards to like, it is a big nod to what Connor has done. Like, cause you know, I had, I had knee surgery a year ago and mm. he's the one that kind of pulled me out of that and got me in shape to hit the Olympic standard in Chicago. And then once again, like, he's he's one that leads the majority of the workouts for us to be ready for the olympic trials so it is a big nod to connor in that regard as well but um yeah it, it just happened as it did and uh wouldn't change it for the world i just like never forget coming up to that fence and looking at you being like what's he doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, like the mayor like ah, like yeah. smiling and oh I mean. my gosh so good <laughs> so good um okay what is the best, most recent book you've read? The The most recent book, actually, I'm almost done. I think I, I'm almost done. It's called The Bomber Mafia. It's, okay. a, Malcolm, it's a Malcolm Gladwell book. Um, and it's I'm doing it in audiobook format. And so it's really good, actually. He reads it. And there's some there's some inserts there of, uh, you know, quotes and, and people being interviewed. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating book, I think. They talk about making the Norden bomb site, which is like how they tracked the bombs. And and uh, the guy that made him Norden, he's like super hyper focused on making it. And so I kind of identified with that. But then mm. it also has this idea of bombing Japan. And there's they decide to use napalm, and that has like a, a pretty big controversy because it uh, you know there's no separation between civilians and and you know the working class, or, or even like, where, where's, where's that line between essentially burning sixty-five plus percent of a city to the ground, and uh, that was pretty fascinating. Um, yeah, that's the latest book I read. Um, I'm like partway through three books right now, or two books. Oh so. wow, okay, you're one of those. I like to read multiple books at once too. What are you reading? Right. Um, there's a book. It's a performance psychology book called Choke. I okay. started it like. Um, right after Chicago. And then there's a book called Why We Sleep. 
was recommended by Coach Stone for the team back in 2022. But I just, that one, that one's been more recent. And then I guess I, I finished it. I reread um, Lopez Lamong's book. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, my, after having served in Ghana, I really wanted my wife to understand like what it is like in parts of Africa. And we had like missionaries who were from East Africa who had been child soldiers before. Um, and they were, you know, had a lot of traumatic experiences. Um, and so we, it was like, I kind of wanted to like better understand like some of the things I saw, like given Lopez Lamont saw a lot more like, what I've always been told that Ghana is Africa for beginners. You know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot safer. It's a lot cleaner. It's a lot, um, like, yes, there's an extreme poverty there, but it's not near as bad as most African countries. They have a free market, which helps people climb the ladder instead of being like, just, you can't do anything to get a better life. And so I wanted, I, I reread it with her just so we could talk about it. And, so that that was one of the most recent books I've read. It's probably one of my favorites too. Mm-hmm. I um, when I after I read the book, I like I literally harassed him to come on my podcast. Like I messaged him, and he did come on finally. But like right. I messaged him on every platform. Every I mean, like, and he would respond sometimes and say, "Yeah, we'll do it one day." And like, I mean, this was like years in the making. And then I think I think <laughs> it was awesome. like two years ago or maybe three. He finally came on the podcast but um you know in regards to that book how your kids are pretty young aren't they Clayton yeah they're five and three oh five okay well so my neighbor I borrowed this book from my neighbor called a long walk to water and it's about kids in I don't know what country the boy is from in Africa but it's like the story of him escaping being a child soldier, but it's like literally for kids. I, I read it to all four of my kids and my oldest is 11 and my youngest is five. So like, okay. they all okay. were into it and I'll make the note. They, yeah, it's really good. They got really into the story and actually I need to return that book to her by the way. <laughs> um, okay. Last question. Sorry. We've kept John so long. What is your last message to leave with our audience? My default is always what Coach Eystone taught us. And if you've heard me speak, you've heard me say it a million times, but it's consistent competence equals eventual excellence. I feel like that just resonates with me so much that through my career, as I've been consistently competent, as I've done base hits, not home runs, just base Mm -hmm. hits every day, nothing special, that I have eventually become excellent. And there's no promise in the word eventual, like of time frame, right? It's just eventual. So it might happen tomorrow, it might happen next year, it might happen in four years, but you will eventually be excellent as you're consistently competent. And I really, I just love that. I love that too. That's so good. Yeah. What you got, Connor? Follow Con- that up. Con- I know. I, I'm like, oh, now I'm thinking of Coach Eyestone quotes. <laughs> uh, see, he's so, so much better at speaking than I am. Um, but yeah, just, you know, have some self-belief. I think that's a big thing that a lot of athletes lack. And especially when, you know, you get beat pretty hard sometimes. I think, you know, believing that you can do it really changes, like, the way you work. So believing, like, I, I mean, I look at Clayton as a, as a bigger example than myself. But, like, Clayton believed he could make this team. And, like, if you would have 
asked anybody in the world in February, right after Clayton had knee surgery. Hey, there's this guy who's a two eleven fifty guy in the marathon. Do you think he's gonna? Do you think he can run? You know, the Olympic standard this year and then make the Olympic team next year. Nobody would have. Huh. Everybody would have counted him out, but I think Clayton has a self belief that it's pretty. Um, not not insanely unique, but it's pretty powerful. Mm. And I think that's, I mean, I have it too. I just would have been in a better position. Like, I, I didn't have to have knee surgery last year. I, <laughs> um, I've been pretty fortunate about how my races have gone. Um, but I think self-belief just makes a huge difference. Okay, I do have one last question. What did your parents say to you after you made the team? My, my mom hugged me and told me she was so proud of me. And she cried and I'm, I'm not a crier. So I was kind of like, thanks mom. Uh, <laughs> which is, I, I hate how that's just kind of how I am. Um, well, you shouldn't hate it. It's who you are. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder that coming from the parent side of things, like how immensely proud you would be of your kid to know that they like, not, not that they have the talent, but then that they went and worked so hard to use it to the best of their abilities and like how emotional it would be to see your kid yeah. achieve that kind yeah. of success. Yeah. My, my dad's just like me. I don't think he said anything specific. <laughs> he just smiled and said, Hey, that was a good run. <laughs> my, my dad knows the sport way more than uh, my Great mom job. does. My dad <laughs> was a college athlete too. And it was just like, yeah, that was good. I'm like, yeah. Thanks, dad. <laughs> <laughs> what about your parents, Clayton? Yeah, I, my first with uh, with my mom, I give her a hug and she said, I'm so proud of you, son. With my dad, he was at like mile 24, 25 and uh, didn't make it back in time, obviously. And so my mom got him on the phone and I called him and he thought I was my mom. And so for, at first he was just jabbering. And then I'm like, no, this is Clayton. This is Clayton. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously he was like just torn up about it. My dad's a crier and it uh. was pretty special. And um but yeah, it's, it was kind of fun because my parents and my siblings, I'm number five of six, um, had never been to any of my pro races before and very, very few, if any, college races. So mm -hmm. we got them all out there for this one and, and kind of betting on myself. And it, it was pretty cool for them to experience that firsthand. I think they were all kind of shocked. You know, I, I kind of told them, you know, I have a good shot. <laughs> but they didn't really, you know, I think they've seen enough to, tragedy in my sport that <laughs> and in my own racing career that they I don't know if they believed me but yeah it was pretty special here he comes celebrating down the finish line yes oh <laughs> uh, guys teammates friends Olympians thanks for coming on the show thank you thanks for having us Lindsay okay thanks for being here everybody thank you so much Connor and Clayton for coming on the podcast loved getting to know you and your story y'all can definitely connect with them on social media you can also connect with me. I am Hine 626 on Instagram. You can find everything we talked about in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com, including sponsor discount codes and all that good stuff. Uh, of course, my website's lindsayhine.com. That's where my training plans are. Uh, thanks for being here. I hope you've enjoyed these post-Olympic trials conversations. And I guess we're back to the reg regularly scheduled episodes now. Uh, have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time on All Have Another.